It's great to see you all out this morning on this rainy day. Kids, fifth grade and under, you can make your way downstairs as your parents and your relatives turn in their Bibles with me to 1 John. I want you to look at 1 John. It's towards the back of your Bible. You can find a Bible in the seat back in front of you. 1 John chapter 4, and hold your place there. And then we're going to go back to the Gospel of Luke, Luke the seventh chapter, as we look today at a situation that points to the evidence of God. This weekend we start a brand new series, and I'm glad that you're here for this, and I'm glad to be back uh, for this. I've been off for three weeks while we had so many of our staff. We're so blessed here. We have some great preachers on our staff, and uh, they have been uh, leading through the last series, And uh, but I'm very excited. I've missed being with you and the opportunity to see your face light up. So today I want to see your face, and I want to see you in God's Word. Congratulations to David and Kelsey. David stuck his head in for a few minutes with Sam. They just had to get out of the house, but we're excited for them. Leroy, it's great to see you out today. It's been a while since Leroy was out, but let's encourage him. Thank you. Well, I'm glad that's not powering you to be out. That wasn't a very hearty applause, but, uh, but I applaud you, and I'm glad you're here. And our heart goes out to Michelle Davis's family today. She passed yesterday and the family of Travis and Lindsey Gabbard, the passing of his father, also yesterday. Well, in Luke chapter 7, verse 36, Luke brings us into the living room of a man named Simon. Now, Simon was no stranger to religion. In fact, he was very involved in the church. He was a leader in his church. He was what was called a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, the law of Moses. You're familiar with the Ten Commandments, but there are 600 other commands that were handed down by Moses to God's people back in the very beginning. And so this teacher of the law, this man named Simon, has opened up his home. Now one of the things that we need to understand about Simon is Simon is like many that you possibly have met in your life. I, I know I've met a few. In fact, I've been a Simon myself at times. Simon was one of those guys that was really concerned about the outside, you know, playing church the right way, doing the right thing to be seen by other people. But on the inside, on the inside, not much life change had occurred. In fact, Jesus referred to the Pharisees, he referred to people like Simon as whitewashed tombs, right? Looking good on the outside, but inside pretty shallow people when it comes to their faith. And here in verse 36, Simon has opened up his home for dinner with other men just like him, except he's invited a special guest. It says that he's invited Jesus of Nazareth to come and join them. Now, he probably even told Jesus that he was the guest of honor in his home. In verse 37, Luke tells us that someone else came to Simon's home that day. It was a woman. And notice how she's described. It says, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. Stark contrast to Simon, who looked so good on the outside, this woman's reputation preceded her. This woman who led a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at Simon's house, so she came there carrying something really interesting. 
but it was important to her and it would play a significant role as we come back to this story weeks from now in this series as we grow closer to Easter. But she came bringing with her an alabaster jar of perfume. Now what Luke points out here is that this woman who came to see Jesus on the outside, it was very clear that she had lived a hard life. Some Bible scholars speculate she was a prostitute, probably one of the worst labels that you could place on someone in that day and time. But what if it was something else? What if she was just a gossip? What if she was just a person who acted on her impulses instead of the things that God would desire for her to act on? What if he labeled her as sinful because she disobeyed one or more of the laws of Moses? But what if it was that she was a homosexual who acted on her impulses? Either way, Luke doesn't call this woman by name, but makes a point to let us know that she was anything but a Christ follower, a God follower. But then he also points out to us what's most important, and that is that she was a seeking woman. When she learned that Jesus was eating at this house, what did she do? She wanted to come and see him for herself. She went to the place where he was. Now, you know, most people, most people who are trapped in an unhealthy lifestyle, people who are unchurched, people who have not had the opportunity that people like I have been to be raised in a home where God was taught to me to be honored, that he was taught to be the center of our life. Most people who live otherwise, they want to be free. Deep down, maybe even that's you today, deep down, you want to live differently. We, we promise ourselves, I'm not going to always be this way. When God chooses to bless us with a child, we look at that child and we say, I do not want my child to be exposed to these things that I've exposed myself to. I want something better for my children. I'm going to change someday. This woman, this woman knew that Jesus was offering something that no one else had ever offered. A fresh start, a new beginning. Not just acceptance, but the change inside her life that she was looking for. And she wanted that, so she went to where Jesus was. Now I want you to think, I want you to think about the people who come to the place where the church gathers. I want you to think about the people who have driven past this building for the last five years and work up the courage to come and park in that parking lot at 5.30 on Saturday or 10.30 on Sunday. In the times that they've sat, maybe you have sat in your car trying to work up the courage to come through these doors, but then you decide not today and you, you go back home and you come back the second week or maybe you work a job and you're gone for 12 hours and when you get off, you have about 15 minutes to get here and you have to decide whether you're gonna go home and get your rest, which is this is the time of day that you get that so you can go back to work tonight or whether you're gonna stop here. But something brings you 
here? Why do people stop and, and open up a live feed on social media when there's so much, many other good things to be reading, right? The political news and, and all the other junk that's on there. Why would they stop? Why would they stop and look at a live feed from this living room right here? I was meeting with a young and upcoming preacher. He was getting ready to make his first sermon delivery at his home church. And we were sitting down discussing the subject and, and he had put together a great message. But we came to this point and, and I just stopped him and I said, do you, know, do you know why people come to this place? Do you know why they dare to get out of their car and come into a room where they're fortunate to know one person? Why would they subject themselves to that? Is it because of the amazing music? We, we have amazing music here. What talent is here? There's amazing speakers. You've heard from the best, David and, and Brandon. We have amazing children programs downstairs. I mean, those kids are not babysat. They learn something. They learn core truths. But this church, this place, this place where God's people gather offers something that the world can't give you. And that is evidence. Evidence of the living God. And that evidence is seen in the love that lives inside of you and me, God's love. You see, the Bible tells us that God is love. Now, if you saw the title of this series and said, I'm going to come because I want somebody to convince me of when those scrolls were uncovered and when they were converted to the English language from Greek or from Hebrew. I want somebody to pull out a fossil that came from Mount Ararat or where, wherever the ark landed. Right? I, I, I want that kind of evidence before I believe. I'm here to tell you this morning that the evidence the world needs is the love of Jesus Christ. That's all the evidence that we need. I can show you all the others. But this morning, this morning, the Bible tells us that God is love. And I'm going to show you this over the next six weeks that we spend together. And so first, I want you to note this. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, right off the bat, I think it's important for us to avoid two very common mistakes. And the first is this, to invert that statement. Invert means to reverse. Instead of saying God is love, to say it this way, well, love is God. Now, what's wrong with that is that there are many false, there are many facsimiles of love today that have nothing to do with God's love. They couldn't be farther from it. A man who has a relationship without honoring a woman in marriage, but says, I love you, babe. There is no God's love in that kind of love. A father, a mother who loses their temper and then physically strikes a child, and then says, but I love you, honey. It's the reason, and I'm not talking about a whipping. I spanked Olivia the day she was born just to let her know what was coming, right? <laughs> I'm not talking about that. Some of you are like, oh my gosh. No, I'm, I'm just kidding, really. No, I'm just kidding. She was two days old. It was all right. <laughs> but a father or a mother 
grandparent who strikes a child and puts a bruise on them and says, I do this because I love you. God's love is not in that. And so to say love is God, you can't do that. But God is love. Secondly, we should never subordinate God's other attributes to his love. He's all-knowing, right? He's everywhere present. We've talked about this in the last series. He is infinite and eternal. He is just. The price of sin must be paid. And while God may display one attribute or another at any given time, no attribute or quality is independent of the others. You see what I mean? When God shows his wrath, God is still love. When God is love, he still must be just. It's why the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. You see the justice here? God cannot tolerate sin. The price of sin had to be paid in order for God's justice to be real. And so what did he do? He sacrificed his son for us. That's the love of God. So this statement that scripture makes about God, that God is love, tells us about the very nature and the essence of God. Everything God does, everything God does and everything that he is, is rooted in and motivated by love. It's not that simply God loves us. It's that God is love. He created the world because he's love. He rules the universe. He is the ultimate authority because he's love. He formed human beings because he is love. Now, our experiences in life teach us that we have to earn that kind of love. We have to meet certain standards or conditions. This was Simon's vantage point. You had to measure up to the letter of the law in order to be loved, to receive God's love. Today, it's our, our attributes, our, our beauty, our, our external looks. This was Simon's perspective. The world says, I love you if, right? I love you if you're good looking. I, I love you if you get up every day and you make sure that you keep your job. I, I love you if, if you, if you do these certain things for us. I, I love this whole woke movement. What a foolish thing. What a foolish thing. If I'm not woke enough, then, then I must not be love. Everything God does is rooted in there are endless ifs in the world's love. Ifs that will enslave you, ifs that will mislead you by conditions that are placed on you, but God's love isn't like that. God's love is free. It's unprompted. It's uninfluenced. There's nothing we can do to cause God to love us, and there's nothing we can do to prevent him from loving us. How do I know that? Because God's love is uncaused. It's uncaused. When writing to young Timothy, an up-and-coming preacher, 
The Apostle Paul described God as the one who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Look, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, according to his own love, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. To the Ephesians, he wrote that God's love is according to the good pleasure of his will. Because God is love, he loves and he does love as he pleases. And it pleases him to love us without cause. I want you to think about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were the first humans. They were created not by an atomic bang, not by crawling out of the sea as a single cell amoeba, but they were created as human beings, fully grown, fully man, fully woman. God knew every detail of their life, every choice that they would make, right? We've gone over this over and over again, that before a life comes to this earth, every day of our life is written in God's book before one of them came to be. So what does that mean? That means that Adam and Eve could not surprise God. It also means that Adam and Eve couldn't do any more or any less to cause God to love them because he chose to create them in love. God does not love us because we love him, the Bible says. We love him because he first loved us. Now back to Simon and this sinful woman that he has in his home. There's a saying that says, no matter how far you've gone down the wrong road, turn back, right? No matter how far you've gone, turn back. And this woman was determined to turn back. But I don't think she was quite prepared for the emotional response. I don't think she was quite prepared for what was going to happen. I, I think she knew that she'd be shamed by Simon and some of the other guys. I think she was hopeful about Jesus' response, but I think she was surprised. Now, keep in mind that in that day, the way that they ate dinner is the way I like to eat dinner at my house, not at the table. In fact, our table stays so covered, I don't think we could eat at it sometimes. My daughter, Emma, loves to do her crafts right there. There's every color of paint on that table. But they ate reclined on the floor. I think if they had a big screen TV, it would have been on, but they didn't have such a thing. But they sat at the coffee table. You know, the table that's about a foot and a half off the ground, the table that you can lay your elbow on and kind of put your feet out behind you. And so it says that as they ate at that table, this woman carrying this alabaster jar, this sinful woman who dared to get off her camel, right? Who dared to give up her morning's rest after working all night, as was supposed by those in the room. She comes in, and who does she stand behind? She stands behind Jesus. I, I, I wonder if she had gotten a clue that that was a safe place. But whatever happened, we're, we're not exposed to all of the things that Jesus said, but I'm sure they were eating there at the table. I bet he was the one in the room that said hello to her first, and that's why she went and stood behind her. I don't know. But what it does say is that as she stood behind Jesus, as she stood at his feet, that tears began to flow down her cheeks. And those cheeks flowed down, or those tears flowed down, and probably some of them hit her chest, but some of them, some of them dropped on Jesus's 
feet. Now, if they were in the middle of the corona pandemic, they would have been hollering for sanitizer, right? Let's just spray the whole room. But instead, instead, she let down her hair. Now, I want you to think, about, why would she let down her hair? It seems like such a foolish thing. Why not use the hem of her long garment? Why not ask for a hanky, right? Doesn't every woman carry a hanky right in there? Reach down in there and grab that hanky out. I've seen some of you. It's awful. But anyway, why didn't she do that? Why her hair? But she lets down her hair and she begins to dry his feet with that. And everybody in the room, it was like when I got up to preach last night and it wasn't Brandon. They all just kind of sighed, right? Uh, he's back. <clears throat> but everybody in the room, they, they looked at her. And it was very clear that they were dissatisfied. One, it was wrong. It was wrong in that day for a woman to not have her hair up in a bun. Praise the Lord, you all have been freed from that right? You're not supposed to let it down. It's immodest. It's immodest. And so they were offended. But Jesus, but Jesus, I can imagine the look in his eye because I've seen it before. <laughs> the grace, the acceptance, no judgment. And it says that at that moment, she began to weep all the more and she gets down on her knees and she kisses his feet and then she takes her jar and she opens it and she begins to put this oil, this salve, this perfume on his feet. You know, people who come to this living room right here and they experience the love of God, whether it's in the message that's spoken and something reaches out and, and touches you, whether it's a song that is sung with such fervor and such belief, whether it's the person who met you at the door or the quiet moment that you spent in communion, I've seen so many with tears that run down your face. In fact, I'm not a crying man. My wife is not a crying woman. But the only few times that I have seen her has been when she sits right here, not when the sermon's going along. But how many of us have had that moment where the tears begin to roll down our cheeks when we realize that we are freed, if only for a moment, of the feeling that we have to earn God's love? Jesus captures it in verse 47 by describing the pent up the pent up desire for forgiveness and relief from her experience and it was the treasure that the woman cherishes that Simon completely misses and that is that God's love is also unreasonable it's unreasonable from the day Adam and Eve sinned in that garden of Eden, mankind has rebelled and continued to drift away from him. We have broken every commandment given to us for our good. You not only see it over and over again in the Old Testament, but you live it today. If you look at the world today, our world, and we see that if God acted reasonably, remember God's love is unreasonable, but if God acted reasonably and reacted the way that we do, he would have abandoned and destroyed humanity. I can think in my short life the number of times that I just used to talk about stepping back because you don't want lightning to strike you. I'm like, why in the world would God allow us to continue on? 
But in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, Paul brings the reality of God's unreasonable love to a level we can understand. He raises the question. I want you to listen to the question because I want you to think and answer it yourself. He says, what would it take for any of us to die for another human being? (laughs) What would it take? What would it take for one of us to die for another human being? I want you to just pause right there. And I want to tell you, there have been two times in my life that I've been willing to do that. Two times in 52 years. And they are very, very, very personal reasons. But they had to do with the love that I had for someone else. Love of a spouse, love of a friend. Have you ever prayed, God, put that person's cancer on me? I'll take it. I'll go to the grave so they don't have to. Right? Anybody ever bargained like that with God but really meant it? What would it take for any of us to die for another human being? And then he goes on to say, very few people would give their lives even for a good man or a righteous person. I could say that there are most every daddy in this room, if you're worth your salt, who would die for their children. I know I would for my girls without a thought. I would step in front of them. I would take it. I I remember both of my girls. I've almost dropped both of them. I'll let you guess which one I did drop. But we were out here playing in the field one day. Uh, we had ball game out here in the, in the field, and I'm not into ball games, but they had me playing kickball out there, and M- Olivia was maybe two, and I was carrying her around the bases. And as I went around the bases, my feet rolled out from under me, and in that split second, I had to decide whether I was going to just toss her and protect myself or whether I was going to cradle her. And I can remember to this moment, I can show you the exact spot in the field. As I took her up in my arms and I rolled over, and I mean this fat man hit the ground. (laughs) And I bruised a rib that day. But I would do anything. Very few people would do that, he's saying, other than for family. And then he says, but God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, it's very reasonable for us to say today, I would not die for that man who hurt my family. There have been people who have said terrible things to me and I'll tell you, I wouldn't die for them. And that's very reasonable to say. It might sound shameful, but you would do the same thing. You wouldn't die for them. In fact, we often curse them on to hell where they belong. You know, we we do that kind of stuff. But Romans 5.10 says that Jesus died in our place, demonstrating just how unreasonable God's love is. Verse 39. When Simon, who had invited Jesus, saw this sinful woman wiping Jesus' feet with her tears, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Oh, but Jesus did know. He did know. The Bible says that he knows the heart of man. He knows. 
And while Simon was thinking it, he might as well have been speaking it because Jesus heard it. And he knew that while the woman was guilty of these outward sins of the flesh, Jesus could look at Simon and he knew that he was guilty of sins of the spirit. He was as dirty on the inside as he thought she was on the outside. Verse 44 says, Then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman, Simon? I came to your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. My second or third year in ministry here, I was invited by a local church just up the road. They were having one of these patriotic things, big rah-rah thing, and they wanted me to come out and speak. Apparently, they hadn't heard me before, but they invited me out to speak, and when I got there, I was looking for this minister friend, and, and I thought, well, you know, he'll tell me what's going on, but he saw me, he waved at me, said hi, and he said, you know, you'll, your turn will be in a minute kind of thing. Went on, I did my thing. You know, the custom today and the custom 2,000 years ago aren't much different. The custom today is that when a guest comes to your home, when a guest comes into your living room, what do you do? I'll get to you in a minute. No, you shake their hand, right? You invite them in. You introduce them to the other guests that are in your home, right? I mean, you know, this is Betty, this is Charlie, stay away from Sam, you know, sit over here. But you, you introduce them. You offer them a glass of water. You hang up their coat. But just like my friend, Simon had this patronizing attitude towards Jesus. He expressed none of these normal acts of kindness. Now, you would think that Simon of all people isn't this your expectation? Especially those of you who, who are just checking out church again. Isn't it your expectation that the leader of the church, the elder of the church, the guy in charge, wouldn't it be your expectation that he would show love? I mean, he's a student of scripture. He knows it all. Why wouldn't he act on it? You'd think this sinful woman, this person with this terrible reputation that the last place that she would want to be is in the presence of Jesus, but she can't resist him. We don't know how she heard about it, but we know this, she came looking for it, in need of it, and she was shown it by Jesus. And you notice, she didn't just take a sip of it, but she poured that glass up until it ran down her cheeks and down her neck and onto her chest and onto the floor. Mercy flowed through her as her soul was softened and refreshed by God's love. Now let me tell you, friends, that's the evidence that the world needs now more than anything. It's the evidence that the world is searching for today. They may not know it. In fact, the evil one has blinded many from it. They've resisted it over and over again until they're numb to it. But what the world needs now more than ever is the love of God. God's love that is unlimited. God's love that is unchanging. And God's love that is unending. Let me explain just how unlimited his love is. A man named David, a man named David in the Old Testament, I can show you his story. I'm, I'm named after him by my parents. 
But this man named David, in all of his good qualities, he had a whole lot of bad choices in his life. Murder, adultery, letting his leadership go to his head. Yet God loved him. And he later wrote these words. It's in scripture, Psalm 139. He captured it this way. He said, where can I, David, go from your spirit, God, your love? If God's love, then his spirit is love. Where can I flee from your presence? If God is love, then his presence is love. Where can I flee from your love? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, your love is there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your love will guide me. Your love will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to your love. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. Now that's hard for us to wrap our minds around this reality that God and his love are always with us, even when we're at our worst and even when we're at our best. We struggle with this because our experiences with others, we can list all the reasons for God's love to be withheld from our lives. And I think that's why the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians to the church and he writes to us today. He says, I pray that you know I pray that you know today. I pray that you know through the next six weeks as you come back. I pray that you be rooted and grounded in the love of God, that you grasp how wide and long and high and deep God's love is for you, and that you know this love that surpasses, <laughs> that surpasses is all the knowledge of God. <laughs> All the things that you've heard or know about him, I pray that his love will encapsulate all of that and that you will connect with him on that level, that you will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, that you will let his spirit, God's spirit of love, live inside of you. God's love is unlimited. God's love is unchanging and unending. A friend spoke to me about his son years ago. This man's son, like many children do in their teens, his son had wandered from the faith. His son had hooked up with other kids that were his age that were living like hell, drinking and carousing, doing all these things. And night after night, they would see their son come in and just disappear into his room. One night, my friend's wife couldn't take it anymore. The son came in drunk, his hair matted with vomit, he went straight to his room. The wife got out of bed, left her husband's side. The husband decided to follow her because he just knew she was going to the kitchen where she would always go and cry for the next hours of the night. He went to the kitchen and she wasn't there. He checked the boy's room. And when he opened the door, there she was. Sitting on the side of his bed, the son passed out, sprawled across the bed with her, stroking his vomit-matted hair. And he said, what are you doing? Why are you here? And she simply answered, he won't let me love him 
when he's awake. Toward the end of Jesus' three-year ministry on earth, I want you to think about this. Thomas doubted. Peter, Peter who said, I'll never deny you, he denied him three times. The three most trusted disciples who Jesus asked the most simplest thing, will, will you just watch and will you pray for me? Couldn't keep their eyes open and fell asleep. Judas betrayed him. While he was beginning to agonize over the cross and its implications, what were the disciples doing? They were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in this coming kingdom that he had told them about. Yet on the last day, they were all together. What did Jesus do? Just like that mom stroking her son's hair. Jesus humbled himself as a servant and washed the feet of all of those men. Even though he knew that at that moment, even Judas was moving through the streets to betray him. Jesus said, as the father has loved me, I have loved you. Now abide in my love. You see, God's deepest desire is that we know his love, but that we also abide in his love, that we live in his love, and that his love live in us. John circles back around in 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, and he writes again to us. He says, God is love. Do, do you understand this? He says, God is love. And then he says, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. What is the evidence that the world is seeking when they come to this place that they know God resides? They are seeking the evidence that you and I hold inside of us. God's spirit. God's spirit that is love. A love that's unlimited. A love that is far reaching. A love that's unending. In verse 48, right there in Simon's living room, Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you. Now this is an important statement about God's love. He did not say your penance has saved you. He did not say go and get your life together and then come back here and you'll be saved. But I also want you to, say, want you to hear what he didn't say, and that is he didn't say to her, hey, it's okay. It, it's, it's all right that you struggle with this and that you sin. My love will cover that. No, he didn't say that. He said, your sins are forgiven and your faith has saved you. God's love and forgiveness was granted to her only by the grace of Jesus Christ. We can't earn it. We can't cause it. It's uncaused. Acts 5.11 says, we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we're saved. Now next week, we're gonna continue to look at the evidence and we're gonna look at the durability of God's love. That nothing can separate us. No height, nor depth, no evil, no good, nothing can separate us from God's love. 
And I hope that you'll be back and I hope that you'll bring a friend. There are many friends in the room today and I'm so glad that you reached out and you invited someone to come with you. Some of you are returning after years of being gone and it is so good to see you. But right now, right now, I wanna ask you if you've seen the evidence presented today of God's love, if you've seen the evidence, if you've heard the evidence and God has been turning your heart just as he turned the heart of that woman in that room. And I want you to know that he was trying to turn the heart of Simon too. You notice he didn't run Simon out of the room. All of us have gone through that stage of being a Pharisee ourselves, and I'm so glad that God has not thrown us away, that his love is still big enough for us. But perhaps today you feel your heart turning toward him, you desire him, you believe it's possible, then as Dan comes and as the band comes and the lights grow dim, I offer you this response today. You're welcome to come to the front. And eventually every one of us needs to be able to stand before men and to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. But today, I wanna meet you where you are because I believe that's one of the models that Jesus showed us is that he came to us and so I want to come to you, and I'll be glad to take the walk with you. I'll be glad to encourage you in your next step in this journey, whether that's to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, Lord of your life, and baptism, where you receive his spirit of love inside of us. Whether it's to become a member of our church here, be part of a group that wants so badly to show God's love and the evidence of that transforming love in our lives. Or perhaps you just need someone to pray with you because of what's been revealed to you today. All you have to do is just step out from your seat a little bit and I'll meet you right where you're at. We'll go to a quiet place and pray. We'll pray right there. We'll do whatever it is that we need to do. Let's stand together. God, the evidence is clear to me and I pray that it's clear to all of those who hear these words. The evidence of your love is undeniable. You love us with an unchanging, everlasting love, and you wait patiently for us. <laughs> oh, you've waited patiently for some time for us to receive that love and to live in it. I pray that we will take our next step toward that today. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who bought it. Amen.